0: Canvas Pop is a company that I bootstrapped along with my business partner Nazem. I'm at nine years now, actually. It's been a nine year startup. We're about 60 plus employees, eight figures in revenue, and yeah, growing, finally growing. And what we do is we create personalized wall art for people. So, whether it's a photo or really any image printed on canvas or framed prints, any form of art really for your wall at any size from any source. That's what Canvas Pop does. And the companies I'm currently running are all under the umbrella of Workshop X, which is our parent company. And we have apps such as PopKey, which is one of the first gift keyboards that hit the market. We also have an art community called Crated, And we're investors in several other companies, including a company called Raven, which is artificial intelligence for manufacturers. So we have a pretty broad range of, of companies that we work with and that we've launched. Originally, we launched a company called DNA11, which... As crazy as it sounds, we used to make art from people's DNA. We still exist; it's still doing quite well. That's how it all started. Actually, we created a company that would take samples of DNA from people and make artwork, custom personalized artwork out of it. And we took that company, organically grew it, and launched Canvas Pop and a whole bunch of other companies off the revenue from that first company.
1: And then, how did you come up with the idea of DNA Eleven? And what were you doing before that?
0: I was actually a web consultant. So I was helping other people launch uh, websites and e-commerce sites. And this is going back over 10 years ago. And although I really enjoyed being a hired gun and having the opportunity to go in and help others, I felt like it was time to use my skills to build something for myself and for my business partner. We never thought it would grow to the size that it's grown today. But we just started off with a, with an idea. We were both passionate about the idea of starting our own business. He had a a background in microbiology, and I had a background in design and marketing. And it's a long story, but essentially, he used to work for a company that used to do DNA analysis and DNA processing. And I saw the images of DNA, and to me, it looked like art. So for a fun side project, we said, why don't we start making DNA art? Maybe we'll do it as a charity project or a side gig. But that side gig quickly turned into a seven-figure business. And that seven-figure business then pivoted into a much bigger business, which today is Campus Pop.
1: So is DNA11, Do you said, is it still alive and are you still part owner in that?
0: Yes. And definitely, it's definitely still alive. And it is part of the overall umbrella of Workshop X. So we have a lab right here in our Ottawa headquarters. That's all it does. It processes, believe it or not, processes people's DNA from around the world and turns them into custom art pieces. We've done portraits for Steve Wozniak, the co-founder of Apple, tons of NFL athletes and celebrities and right down to just normal everyday people.
1: Right. And how much would like something like that cost?
0: Well, they started around $390 but because it's quite a process to develop these portraits. It's a very, very kind of personalized thing that we do. And if anyone wants to check it out, it's just dna11.com.
1: And so how did you end up in Ottawa? Are you And is that where you're at today?
0: Yeah. So I am in Ottawa today as Canada's capital. I was born and raised here. I also spend a considerable amount of my time in Los Angeles and Venice Beach. And I kind of commute back and forth. And our actual production headquarters, because we do own our own Printing facilities is located in Las Vegas, Nevada. So we're on both sides of the border.
1: And so why was part of it in, I guess, Las Vegas, Nevada, and part of California? Are they, do you have three different like, little headquarters, or how does that work?
0: Well, Los Angeles is simply just a satellite office, so it's not really a headquarters. But our Las Vegas facility is a 30,000-square production facility for Canvas Pop and DNA11 where we do all the large format printing. The reason we picked Las Vegas was um, actually we were inspired by Zappos. About, I don't know, eight years ago, seven years ago, Nazem and I had a chance to visit Zappos' headquarters and we saw what they were building out there, and we said, well, why don't we set up our facility here as well? And that move actually saved us hundreds of thousands of dollars in production costs. And we moved into Las Vegas when Las Vegas was at probably one of the worst times in Las Vegas. So there was a high unemployment and lots of vacancy so we were able to grab a production facility at a very efficient cost and we're able to bring some valuable jobs to las vegas so it was a really good strategic move and that's something that nasa my business partner spearheaded and there's no regrets today
1: and so what is your role today at canvas pop
0: well i still wear more than one hat but essentially i'm in charge of creating a great customer experience here All touch points, 360 degrees, whether it's our brand, our marketing messaging, our PR, and those types of things. My real, I guess, I don't like to use the term superpower. Everyone has a superpower. My superpower is dealing with the media, reaching out to the media and helping develop uh, partnerships, whether it's with business development or press, but I'm still heavily involved with branding and marketing as well.
1: Do you think you just automatically have that or did you learn it? And if so, can you tell us just, I guess, an example of how you use that as your superpower?
0: Sure. No, that's a great question. So I think a lot of it is learned. I think I believe that many of us are born inherently with some skills, whether you're extroverted or you tend to be more introverted and you have to leverage those natural skills. For me, I've always been a very extroverted individual that I, I get energy from others. And so uh, PR and sort of outreach and doing that media stuff and partnerships was always a natural thing for me, but you have to learn it and you learn it by listening to podcasts, reading great books. And more importantly, finding a great mentor. And I think those are the three important things you want to do if you want to learn any skill. You also have to enjoy what you're doing. So I naturally enjoy talking to people like you or dealing with any media. And that is an extremely important skill set in a startup stage because PR is free. And if you know how to do it properly, you can actually generate millions of dollars worth of free press without any real cost. And that is something that until now, we never needed to raise venture capital because we used our ability and our skills in PR to get millions of dollars worth of exposure, which generated millions in sales. And so if if there's one skill that I think every startup person should learn is how to deal with the media and the press to get free exposure early on.
1: Do you have any, I guess, help for our audience on doing that? Well, yeah.
0: I mean, one thing for sure is, like I said, you want to be reading different books on the matter. There's Guerrilla PR, there's PR 2.0. There's a bunch of different books out there. And PR is always evolving. And one day I will write a book, (laughs) hopefully, about this. In the meantime, what I've done is I mentor hundreds of entrepreneurs using a platform called Clarity, and that's clarity.fm. And I'm available on that. Maybe you can provide the link for people.
1: Yeah, we'll and insurance. the
0: way it's a great platform, whether you meet with me on it or other entrepreneurs, if you ever just need to pick an entrepreneur's mind for 30 minutes or 15 minutes, you can go on clarity, book a call and they do charge by the minute, but that could be some of the best investments you make when you just need a little bit of advice. And so I've helped out hundreds of entrepreneurs on clarity.
1: And yeah, that's clarity.fm and then forward slash your last name.
0: Uh, My first and last name.
1: And we'll put in the show notes.
0: That'd be great. Okay.
1: So I guess you were talking about mentors and how you can learn a lot from them. Did you have a mentor? And if so, were you able to learn from them?
0: I've had many mentors, many mentors. And over the years, those mentors, I always make sure I respect their time. I don't just email them or call them sporadically. But it's funny what a 15-minute coffee or a quick phone call with someone who's been there, done that, can help really provide clarity for you. And you'd be surprised when you reach out to people who have maybe 10 or 20 years experience on you, how willing they are to give you their time as long as you respect their time. So can't take it for granted. You've got to approach them in a way that is humble, in a way that is looking for their advice. I always say, if you want to get something from somebody, approach them saying you want to ask their advice. Don't approach them saying you want something else from them. Just say, I really would like your opinion or your advice. Most successful entrepreneurs do enjoy mentoring and helping others. And it's something I've done. I've taken advantage of and I do today for others as
1: well. Yeah, I guess that's one way to reach out to a mentor. Also, when I first reached out to you, and I appreciate you responding so quick. You said you did want to, I guess, talk. I don't know if you have a detailed strategy or some key tips for getting millions in free PR like you were talking about for a new business or a new product launch.
0: Yeah, I'd love to talk to you about that. I mean, the process is at a high level. What you want to do is make sure that whatever you're developing, building, creating, that you can understand the angle of that, what makes it interesting. And that's called an angle. I mean, anything from garbage removal service to e-commerce company to a new invention that you're working on to a new app all have an angle inside of it that makes it interesting. Any company can be pitched to the media as long as you understand how to make it interesting to the media. Mm -hmm. So then the question is, how do you make your company interesting to the media? You have to understand what's trending, what's buzzing, what the media wants to know about. More importantly, you need to understand who you're trying to target. Who's your target demographic? I get people coming to me all the time and saying, how do I get TechCrunch or Mashable? But yet, their service isn't targeting the people who read TechCrunch or Mashable. So the first thing you need to do is understand who you're targeting, what the angle that the journalists are looking for, what's trending, what's newsworthy about your company. In other words, so what? What's interesting about you? It could be you. It could be your company. It could be the way you're approaching and solving your problem. Once you know that, the rest is easy. I teach entrepreneurs all the time on clarity how to build pitches, how to build media lists. Those things are easy. Those are mechanical things. But if you don't have your pitch right, then you won't get media pickup. So one tip that I have, and I didn't make this up. I actually got this idea from Amazon, is always start with a press release. By the way, press releases aren't even that relevant anymore. You get most media by pitching specifically to journalists, not by just writing a press release and putting it on the wire. I think press releases are useless in that way, but the way that they're extremely useful is in the way that Amazon leverages press releases. Many people don't know this, but before you can launch any product at Amazon, Jeff Bessel set a rule saying that you must write a press release about it. Why? Because it helps you think out the headline, the five W's, who, when, where, why, how. And in the exercise of writing a press release, it actually helps you kind of figure out, is what we're doing even interesting? Is there even an angle to it? And if you can't make it an interesting press release, then how are you going to make an interesting product? And that's the premise of why Amazon makes everybody write a press release before they launch a product. And that's the number one thing that I recommend that entrepreneurs do to help think their product through and their angles.
1: And I see that with DNA 11, it seems like, I mean, I could see how that's definitely different. And I mean, how about for Canvas Pop or some of your other companies? Could you give us examples of how and why?
0: That's another great question because you're right. Making art from DNA is remarkable already. Mm-hmm. Anyone's going to write about it because it's so crazy and it's so different. But Canvas Pop was just printing photos on Canvas. Nothing interesting. About that, right? Wrong. So we did it. What we did is we did two things. One, we realized that first look at the trends in the market. The trends in the market eight years ago, nine years ago when we launched this, if you remember, that's when the iPhone had just come out. So we made our company different by saying we're the only company that prints photos from your iPhone. And we positioned the company saying we're the mobile photo printing company. And that was way more interesting than what our old competitors were doing. So when we leveraged mobile photography, we were one of the first companies to jump on that bandwagon. That suddenly made us hot and interesting. The second thing I did is decided, how do I make this company interesting, even though it's just printing photos? Well, what I did is I used DR Newswire. They had a part of Reuters, I should say, had a big board a New York Times, a digital billboard, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I bought a 100 spots at a very good price from them to put pictures on the Reuters billboard during Christmas time. I paid next to nothing. You'd be surprised how little I paid. I think it was a $100 per image. And then when I did my media outreach, I said we were going to allow the first 100 customers to have their picture uploaded and shown on Times Square during Christmas time. That made us look like a huge company, even though it didn't cost us very much. And so that's the trick that we got really creative and created a news event out of nothing. And it got a lot to pick
1: and could you explain a little bit more? So people, did they send their image to y'all and y'all put them up or what was the deal with the... Exactly.
0: So the first 100 customers that would upload and order a print from us mm-hmm. would actually have their picture displayed in New York Times Square. Whatever photo they were uploading, say it was a picture of their dog or of their kids, it would actually be displayed in New York Times Square on a huge billboard during Christmas time. And we bought those spots dirt cheap off of Reuters and, it was, and a deal that I had to kind of negotiate and create myself. But the point being, I mean, first of all, it's remarkable for any company to have their customers' content displayed on the New York Times Square, right? That seems like something huge. That's something that Nike would do or something that Under Armour or Starbucks would do. We're a tiny no-one company in Ottawa, Canada, but I just thought big. I wasn't afraid to go out and see if I could make this happen. So the first trick is just think big, but create an angle that the media will pick up. And the media did pick that up. And that's how we started, with a bang, if you will.
1: And so how do you even come up with that idea?
0: Well, I just think of what's remarkable. And this is, again, something I've taken from Seth Godin, who's read a lot of his books. In the book Purple Cow, which I recommend every entrepreneur read, it's a book by Seth Godin, he talks about remarkability. And remarkability, if you break down the word remarkability, means something worth making a remark about. If your company, your product, or you are worth making a remark about, that means people will talk about you. And the best form of advertising, period, is word of mouth. So that's why I think it's important to come up with an idea that's remarkable. It doesn't have to be a New York Times billboard. It could be a charitable cause that you're partnering with. It could be something about your founder story, where you come from, what you did. It could be something or a feature in your product that nobody else has. That is the trick. Coming up with a remarkability and understanding what's remarkable. About your company, which you can do by writing a press release and helping yourself discover what's remarkable about your company and hitting that to the media and pitching that to the media is the key to getting pickup and ultimately getting people to talk about your product.
1: Do you want to talk about Canvas pop and your founder, how you're able to find them and kind of the growth from, I guess, the two of y'all and how you grew?
0: Sure. We started the company pre Kickstarter day. So Nazim and I started the company before Kickstarter. Unfortunately, I love Kickstarter because it is the ultimate way to. Get some pre-buy-in, pre-opt-in for your product and sort of prove something out. But you don't need to use Kickstarter. My rule has always been talk to 10 people. One of the big mistakes I think a lot of entrepreneurs make or a lot of new entrepreneurs make is they're coming up with an app or they're coming up with an idea or product. And they don't want to tell anybody because they're afraid that someone's going to actually steal their idea. That rarely if never happens. I've never heard of it actually happening. Somebody stealing someone's idea. It's just almost impossible. So I always encourage entrepreneurs to share their idea and share it with at least 10 people. If they have an app idea or product and get feedback very early on and preferably pre buy-in. So when we launched our company, we went out to our closest network of friends and family and got pre-orders. And that's how we started Canvas pop. People were actually coming to us and saying, I want to print a picture of my vacation. I want to print a picture of my family. I want to print a picture of my dog, whatever it was. We started realizing that there was demand in the market for large format artistic printing and we took those orders and that's how we knew there was market demand so the ultimate validation early on is go to your friends and family and try to get them to pre-buy in if that doesn't work for you try kickstarter try indiegogo try different platforms that allow you to get your product in front of as many people as possible and most importantly get dollars from them because if there's a dollar exchange that means there's interest in the market and that's really the most basic way of getting early validation for anything
1: the first customers, would they just send an email with the picture attached, or how were you able to print? And I guess because you had DNA11, did it make it much easier as since it was kind of the same industry, same type of concept?
0: Exactly. So we already had a bit of momentum. We owned a couple printers by then. We were outsourcing everything in the early days, but by the time we launched Canvas Pop, DNA11 already been a couple years old, so we owned a couple printers, and we already had the facilities set up. So I made it a little bit easier. But to answer your question, we didn't go out and build a half a million dollar website or anything crazy. In the early days, yeah, just accept an email by an attach, say send us an attachment, even a USB key, whatever. We didn't worry about the technology. At first, we just wanted to see would people submit an image to us and then we could print it. Even our first website didn't have any cropping tools or Anything advanced, it was just a form where you would submit the image and then pay with your credit card. And then when we got to seven figures in sales, did we really start to invest in technology and building our own technology backend and platform? So when you don't have venture capital, you're kind of forced to be really smart with your money, prove out the market get to some real revenue, and then reinvest that revenue into technology second. And I'm a big fan of MVP or launching things, minimum viable product, like launch your product as basic as possible, get some traction, and then reinvest from there or raise money from there.
1: And so how much money did you have to put in at first in order to go ahead and start? And can you walk us through, I guess, do you have any issues when you first started? And even if it was with DNA11, so we can talk about any failures you might have had.
0: Oh, there was lots of failures, and that's just part of any startup. But in the early days, we really didn't have any money, and that was a good thing because it forced us to be very creative and crafty and use PR and be very, very careful how we acquire new customers. So not having money in the early days can be a blessing in disguise, first of all. Secondly, Canvas Pop was just started with a few thousand dollars, and that I had to go out and ask for some favors and hire a web guy that I knew from before and do the photography myself and all this and really force us to be creative. So, we only spent a few thousand dollars and built DNA 11 to a seven figure business in a little over a year. So, from nothing to a million dollars, using the power of media and PR, of course, getting to over seven figures in sales in around 14 months. That's the first part. Then we launched Canvas Pop with less than $30,000, which sounds like a lot of money, but it really isn't. That included photography, website, and developing a back-end that could handle these images. Even that first version, as I said, was very basic. It was just a form that you could submit an image to us. It wasn't really complicated back-end. But we built CanvasPop into a seven-figure business in less than 12 months by being, again, very creative with our PR and our customer acquisition tactics.
1: Oh yeah, you gave us earlier on, said I think, some great advice on getting millions or PR, free PR. Do you have any other advice that you might have, I mean, through this growing time, whether you learned something from your failures like a bad hire or was there anything with customers that you might have had an issue with?
0: Well, all of that's going to happen. You're going to have bad hires. The people that you're going to start working with in day one through maybe the first year or two, So the people that might take you zero to a million are not the same people that will necessarily take you from a million to 10 million in sales. So the first lesson you're going to learn on the HR front is that certain people are great at certain stages of the business. And one of the sort of more sad truths of running a company is the people that help you in the early stages may not be the best people for you in the later stages. And that's going to happen. And that's just part of growing as a company. As far as lessons learned, I think the biggest lessons learned is you're going to fail. And you're going to fail. And that differentiates, in my mind, successful entrepreneurs from those that don't succeed is your ability to make mistakes correct quickly and move on, and you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And that's just part of startup, part of being part of a startup. So making mistakes is fine. Correcting them quickly is important. And then I guess lastly, always kind of try to make sure you're the dumbest person in the room. And we've heard that saying before. And so what I mean by that is hire people that are smarter than you as soon as you're able to, and then let them do their thing. Mentor them and help them do their job and give them the tools and hire people smarter than you. It's the only way to scale and grow. And that especially includes your advisory board. By all means, people that you bring in as mentors and advisors should all be smarter than you. You should really almost feel humbled by your advisors and even by your friends. I always tell entrepreneurs you are who you hang out with and you're a net sum of the people you hang out with. So surround yourself with great people, both in business and your personal life, and you will achieve greatness.
1: Could you give us some like, examples of mistakes that you made? Because I think when you hear an actual story, if you can think of one, people have a better time of remembering it. Could you tell us about some of the mistakes you've made?
0: Gosh, where do you start? I, we made so many mistakes. I think one mistake that I've made in the past is being an entrepreneur, and many entrepreneurs will relate to this, shiny object syndrome is what we call it. And that's where there's always opportunities coming to you, whether it's partnerships or new companies, new ventures, investments, et cetera. The most successful entrepreneurs I know are able to relentlessly and consistently focus on what they're trying to achieve. And there's always distractions. And I think the one lesson that I learned is don't try to do 10 things at once. Do one thing. And as I mentioned, I'm focused on Pop right now, and that's for a reason. Because you can only really do one thing, do it really well until it's extremely successful. And once it's successful, Exit that opportunity and then go on and create more companies. But don't try to do ten things at once. You can barely do one thing at once when you're in the startup stages. So focus on one thing.
1: And you told us I guess ninety nine percent of your time is spent on Canvas pop. I imagine at some point that was that not the case and did you notice that because you weren't focusing just on Canvas Pop that you're having issues? Yes,
0: yes. I think we prematurely began to try to build a company that would launch lots of different companies. And even though we had a very large team of very competent people, when the leaders are off kind of, not in a negative way, trying to expand the business by going into many different ventures, it can distract people. And so it can be very distracting to the company and to the other team members if the founders are not laser focused on what the main company Never forget where your revenue is coming from and focus on that until you either reach a plateau or your sole acquired IPO, whatever the exit is, before you start to to start too many businesses. And so that was a lesson learned for us today. It's under well under control. But at one point, we had too many irons in the fire and that caused
1: distractions. I feel like. And so are you talking about Workshop X? Is that where it was the umbrella or was it something else?
0: No, just Workshop X. We had different ventures and different brands like created that we were running, which was an online art community. And we were just weren't able to get it to the levels of momentum that we wanted to. And that's because we were trying to dilute ourselves too much. And so without getting too many details, Focus, focus, focus is the key to make a company successful. And sometimes right when you think you're peaking and it's time to start new businesses is actually when you should be stepping on the pedal and even focusing more. Because running a company is a marathon and not a sprint. And that's something that I learned a few years ago. Just stay focused.
1: Mm -hmm. So during this time, could you tell us about like the hardest thing that you've had to either overcome personally or in the business?
0: Well, I think there's always challenges, right? Starting a business venture... With your best friend, I mean, I started a company with Nazim. We've known each other since we were four years old. It's always challenging, right? When you start a business with your friends, you know each other very well. We're very close. And so one of the challenges we had to overcome is sort of separating our friendship from business and really understanding how we both bring value to the company. And so that was one of the challenges. The other challenge is when we hit around seven figures in revenue many years ago, when we had our first million, we started to plateau. And this is something very normal you're going to see. And that was a big challenge for us. We kept working harder, but not getting the results out of the business. And so there's two things that I'm going to recommend to people now before they hit their first million, or if they've already hit the first million or 2 million, or any business that's sort of plateauing. Is I read a book called the E-Myth, and, the, and you want to probably put that in your notes. E-Myth was a fantastic book at helping us systemize and get past those peaks and help us understand how we can scale the company. Beyond Emith, we hired a executive coach. And this is sort of a mentor, except that you pay them and their job is to come in and really help ramp up your company. And that was one of the best investments we made. And we hired Cameron Harrell who was one of the sort of co-founders of 1-800-Got Junk. And he's a very well-known executive coach. And he came in and was able to help us go from a million to even 5 million in revenue just by giving us some very simple advice on how to change the way we were working. And so the lesson learned there is, again, read books. e is a must-read for anyone looking to scale a business. And think about hiring an executive coach of some sort to help you get past your plateaus.
1: Well, as far as the uh, co-founder front, imagine some of the people listening, they're thinking about if they should go it alone or have a co-founder. Could you tell us about the benefits? And like I said, could you give an example of maybe with your co-founder who was, you're saying, your best friend? If someone out there is having a best friend as their co-founder and they don't know what to do and they're having issues, what might you suggest?
0: Well, first of all, friend or not friend, what I recommend, you don't need to be friends with your co-founder. Mm-hmm. What you need to have with your co-founder, I think, is they need to bring an opposite set of skills than you. Too often, I see friends starting companies because they like each other. That's not the reason to start a company. For example, Nazem is very good at numbers, analysis, uh, internal. So he likes to focus on HR and culture, team building. I'm the dead opposite. I like to focus on marketing, creative, and external. So we had sort of a yin-yang effect, and we were able to be very opposite. And that's what I think one of the key factors for our success has been as partners. And so rule number one is look for somebody that's opposite to you as far as business skill sets. You don't want to be both marketers or both designers. And certainly, you don't want to have five partners necessarily at the beginning. You want to really be careful about who you bring on board and how much equity you give away in the initial days. When NASM and I started, we we're 50-50 partners, and that was fair because we were putting in 50-50 effort. Just make sure that when you bring in partners, they are complement your skills, and be very careful about how you do equity splits and all that with additional partners.
1: Have you had issues with that in the past from other companies as far as equity and what advice do you have?
0: Well, I've seen it before. I've seen it in friends' companies and companies that I've mentored where five guys get together and they split the company five ways and a few of them are part-time working on the weekends and a few of them are giving up everything, putting their mortgages on the line. And so that imbalance can really cause havoc later on because it's almost impossible to have five individuals, equal equity, all putting in equal amount of effort. You're always going to have somebody putting in more effort, somebody putting in less And it can create what's called a pretty complicated cap table. And so you want to be careful in the early days. Just be careful how you give out equity and make sure that you talk to people, lawyers or advisors, before you start to just split up a company. Because today, when you start off, your company's worth zero. But when your company's worth $20 or $30 million later on, you may regret some of your decisions on how you set up your cap table your equity table.
1: Well, uh, as far as today, how are you able to, I guess you said you're not really focused much on the team where as Nazem, it sounds like is, but what has he done? Or could you tell us as far as culture to keep things intact? Because I find like you were saying, growing from one or two person team to five is different from going from five to 20. And can you tell us about what y'all do to keep the team together?
0: Yeah, I mean, we do all the stuff that a lot of other companies do. We do occasional company retreats or we go do archery tag and all those things. Those things are nice and whatever. But really, culture comes down to setting up a foundation and communication among the team. And so one of the things that NASM is very good at is holding uh, regular meetups with the entire company and showing them what we're working on, what our goals are, what our vision is, what's next. And just that communication alone. That one thing of just communicating with the team on a regular basis is probably the most important aspect of maintaining a culture where everyone's on the same page. Beyond that, it's just about making sure when you hire people, one of the most important things is we look at cultural fit. Will this person fit with the team, with our values? And you have to understand your values. If you as a founder don't understand what your values are, then how can you communicate that with your team internally? And so understanding what's important to you, your values, and even writing them down, is a foundational part, of sort of setting up your own culture, and we've done both of those things.
1: So, what do you see for your future as far as Canvas Pop?
0: Well, no, Canvas Pop. We're building a hundred million dollar plus company now. We've hit certain benchmarks, and we say, okay, what's next? But when we started the company, our first goal was to reach a hundred thousand. Then we reached a hundred thousand. Said, how do we get to a million? And we said, we to a million. How do we build the ten million? And now our goal is set much higher. We want to build a hundred million dollar plus company, and really, our goal is to disrupt an old industry, which is printing. I mean, printing has been around forever and we are using digital technology and personalization and other types of technology to really expand the vision of what can be done with our photos and art. And that might involve artificial intelligence, it might involve augmented reality, and we're going to be using different forms of technology to continuously evolve and be the innovative leaders in our space. And that's the key for us for growth.
1: Hey there, one quick message. Hope you're enjoying all of our episodes. If you are, then consider subscribing to our weekly podcasts. Just search for millionaire interviews in your podcast player and be sure to look for the Chuck Norris album artwork. Thanks again for tuning in. Well, before we get off, I said, do you have any other last words for entrepreneurs who might be listening or any other lessons or words of wisdom?
0: I think we've covered it all. It's a great interview. I mean, really my summary to anybody is it doesn't cost any money to think big. And thinking big is, um, or dreaming big, as I like to say it. Dream big, set big goals. And you'll achieve them. If you think small and set small goals, you'll achieve those too, if that makes sense. You kind of turn into what you set your sights to. And so why not think big? It doesn't cost extra money to think big. And that's pieces of advice I like to give to a lot of young entrepreneurs.
1: Thank you for coming on and sharing your story. And it's the best way for people to reach you if they want to say thanks. I always
0: like to drive people to my Clarity profile on there. It kind of explains my background, what I've done, and how I'd like to help entrepreneurs. It's really the best way to schedule time with me is just to go to clarity.fm front slash Adrian Salmanovic. And I'm sure you'll include a link to that and people can reach me there.
1: Well, like I said, thank you for coming on and sharing your story today.
0: Cheers. Thanks a lot.